Thanks for joining us today for the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at Real Self. The mission of our podcast is to tell the stories of our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. My guest on today's podcast is Tammy Valletta, who is the owner, founder, and graphic designer, creative director, everything of Pinpoint Strategic Communications based in the Seattle area. Welcome, Tammy. Thank you. Tell us about Pinpoint and give us a little flavor of what you offer and the kind of services that you focus on. Yeah. So Pinpoint is unlike any other agency in this industry. We are at our heart a boutique branding, marketing, and creative agency. We are 95% focused on the aesthetic industry. We have very few clients in any other sector anymore. We're in about 250 practices all across the United States, Canada, Mexico. We also just signed a client in Nigeria this last month. So that's awesome. We work with all specialties, cosmetics, plastics, derms, ENTs, non-cores, med spas. But we also work with a lot of the service organizations that help you run your business. So EMRs, medical device manufacturers, skincare manufacturers, as well as reputation management firms. And so that gives us a really great rounded perspective in this market. We're here today to talk about mostly loyalty programs. And we're in a strange time because everyone's kind of looking around at their marketing and making decisions about where to spend and where to cut. And I think our instinct in any difficult time, like a recession is, where am I getting the most bang for my buck? And so certainly loyalty programs is one of the things that comes to the top of your mind when you are thinking about being thrifty or frugal or smart with your marketing dollars. Now, you have spent a lot of time on loyalty programs, which is why I wanted to talk to you today. Let's start with the why. Why should you bother putting a loyalty program in place? And I'm sure that's obvious to lots of people, but in case it's not, let's start there. Well, I mean, the biggest reason when done well and when done with thoughtful intention, loyalty programs work. I mean, they have the tremendous power to move the needle in so many positive ways for your practice. They can create insane customer behavior change. I mean, case in point, I'm a Sephora Rogue member at uh, Sephora Cosmetics. I don't purchase any other products anywhere. My children don't either because I've been an evangelist for them for years. And so now they have gone out and become evangelists and they have told all their friends as well. It just kind of perpetuates itself. When loyalty programs work, they do exactly what you set them up to do, which is to you know increase referrals, to grow in recurring revenue, to gain adoption of products quicker, to protect you from competition, which everybody could use in this industry with so many entrants in the market. They also can insulate you from when you screw up. If you really have a solid marketing loyalty program in place, and your patients love you, they give you a lot more forgiveness. So there's a ton of reasons to create a program that really works. Are there any benefits to loyalty programs that might be surprising to people that they haven't thought of? 
Well, it's interesting in this COVID-19 environment, I think that there are some benefits for sure. One of the stats that really sticks into my mind about, and I've researched a lot of stats on loyalty marketing, is that customers on average lose 30% of their market base every year just because customers don't think that the brand is doing enough to recognize their loyalty. So it's surprising that loyalty programs can help you with attrition for reasons other than just financial discounts, just recognizing the value of your patients and letting them know that you know they are your VIP. So that for sure is one. And in this environment, in COVID-19, as we all come out of this, um, we're having a tremendous amount of interest in the industry being loyalty marketing driven. Practices just don't know if they've done enough. At this point, they've been away from their patients now, sometimes two to three months, at, you know, depending on where you're at. And they're questioning, did I do enough to really solidify loyalty? I've thought about this a lot, actually. And I was contemplating what it would mean, and I, I can't do it, but to survey patients right now just to find out how they're feeling because yeah. I ran into that same thing that I think they're probably really just unsure of how their patient base is feeling. Yep, yep, absolutely. So I think in that respect, it's surprising. I also think in this COVID-19 marketplace that number one, it can absolutely insulate you from that reactionary competitor who might be going out with price cutting strategies, slashing everything down to 50%. If you have a great loyalty program, if you had one in place, that's going to really create that barrier to exit from your practice due to somebody else doing something that's outside your control. So in that respect, I think that's a little surprising. Kudos to you for having a program in place that helps to protect you from that. But yeah, those are two great reasons. The other thing I think that is surprising about loyalty programs is that it can really allow you to offer value to your patients. And a lot of practices don't think about it in this way. If you can bundle up a loyalty program and make it you know, authentic and look spot on with your brand in terms of voice and visuals and how it's portrayed, it looks so much different than a price cutting measure. And it kind of elevates your brand and allows you to offer patients value without devaluating it. Yeah. Do we think that Costco is cheap? Not usually. We don't think that about Costco, but we do think we're getting a great deal. Right. Right. And they have tremendous loyalty. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Or I think about Target and I'm super loyal to Target because I have a red card and I always get 5% off. Yep. Yep. What other benefits do patients want from a practice loyalty program? Yeah, there are quite a few of them. Um, You know, because we're savvy as consumers and we all participate in programs outside this sector, the well-run loyalty programs in our country really raise the bar for all of us who want to put together a loyalty strategy for patients. And when we present on this topic, we usually highlight six things that customers are really wanting out of their loyalty programs that practices absolutely have to pay attention to. And we'll look at them in macro level and then we'll, you know, kind of really go into detail. But the first thing they want is, and this goes to a customer service issue, because you have to really realize that a loyalty program is just part of a loyalty strategy. 
and that the greater strategy, you have to be delivering a consistent and delightful and differentiated experience for your members every single time. That's an expectation. And if you're not able to deliver that at this point in time, you know, I would advise practices to fix that first before they develop a loyalty marketing plan or a loyalty marketing program, because it's not going to patch things up there for you. You know, Ritz-Carlton, they have a loyalty program and they deliver that experience every single time. I'm an Alaska Airlines member. And if I were to, you know, all of a sudden experience them digging my bags and not arriving on time, very quickly, my allegiance to that program would run off. It might take a while before you got there. It might, but (laughs) if it was consistent and if it was enough, I would stop losing my loyalty. And so practices need to recognize that first, but you know, next they have to deliver superior value and it has to be an equal value exchange, a win-win. So they have to do enough to secure that loyalty, but they have to be getting enough in return to make it worth that exchange. And so superior value is very important. I think that's even going to be more important coming out of COVID-19 because many patients have, you know, obviously been affected financially. Another thing that's important for practices to build into their program is simplicity and ease. You cannot have a convoluted, difficult to understand program design. You also have to make it easy to interact with. So whether you're doing that digital or whether you're doing that in a traditional format, don't make it hard to redeem your points or redeem your value or to schedule your appointments. It has to be an easy experience and it has to be simple to understand. You absolutely can't forget, and this is so important for practices because a lot of them write their loyalty programs as a discount strategy, which is not what you want a loyalty program to be. You absolutely have to pay attention to the emotional side of the human brain because that part of the brain wants something out of loyalty too. They want to be recognized. They want to be given status. They want to establish an emotional bond with the brand. And if your program isn't paying attention to that, you're not going to get as much value out of running the program. We also really counsel practices to pay attention to variety and options in their reward style now, especially after COVID-19. So make sure you're putting variety in how quickly people can attain rewards, things that are rapid fire that they can get in 30 days to 45 days. So they're not hanging on the line to be rewarded. And then things that build migration and the desire to be in the program for the long hauls, aspirational things. And so playing with that variety and giving them tiers so that you have something to address either different patient segments or different budget ranges is very important. And then the final thing that we educate on is personalized engagement after you launch your program. This is one that practices forget all the time. So they launch a program and then what? (laughs) You know, there's nothing in place to go out to those members after they've enrolled and become a part of it to stay engaged and even to be reminded to come back in for treatments. You kind of have to hit them over the head to, to raise your program to the top and to compete with the other programs that are out there in order to have them utilize it and uh, get value from it. So would like a birthday gift, something small on your birthday, be an example of that personalization? Yep. And, yeah. and we really recommend doing that 
specific to your members. So you might have something in place for everybody in the practice to recognize them on their birthday, but for your members, you should do it differently. It should be branded to the program, which should fit underneath the program, you know, the umbrella of your overall brand, but those members realize that you are recognizing them on their birthday separately from other patients in the practice. So can you give us a real world example of a practice and what their program looks like? You know, it's hard without actually seeing um, <laughs> what it looks like, but maybe you can kind of talk us through one. Yeah. I mean, we've done so many. I'll give you two. The oldest running program in our agency is a program out of Philadelphia. It's for Dr. Lewis P. Bucky. His program, we, we launched it the first time about 11 years ago. And at that time, it started as a tiered program. And over the years, it's morphed into a single tier because he's found his sweet spot. When we started his program, he was a single practice. He now is building a fourth practice in Philly, I believe. So he um, has grown quite a bit. And this program has become a really big shot in the arm and a vital piece of his annual marketing. It is what we call a prepaid card program. His value proposition is so simple. He has about, I think, 450 members. Card is $3,000 to actually participate in. He gives patients great value, but it's so well adopted in the practice, it's actually put in his shopping cart. Patients pay for the program in the shopping cart. It's been, of course, over the years, well-marketed and his staff is, you know, works as a finely oiled machine to sell the program. But when you do that math, it's a million and a half dollars worth of revenue for the practice every year. He has an army of really, really loyal patients who sing his praises, you know, lots of referrals. And the program is just hugely successful. That is different than another program we just launched for Dr. Bazu, who's out of Houston. His program, unfortunately, launched a month before COVID-19 hit, <laughs> but it had excellent traffic when it was launched. His strategy was completely different than that of Dr. Bucky's. He opted for a membership-style program because for his practice, the ability to get patients who had been treated for surgical needs to segue them into non-surgical recurring revenue treatments. And so that monthly membership model really worked for him. But, you know, he did everything right in terms of how he marketed the program so that it got attention at launch. And prior to COVID-19, he had a great event and great traction into the program because of it. And I don't doubt that after this is all over, that will continue. So in both cases, you pay a fee. In the case of Dr. Bucky's, you pay an annual fee. And I assume that for that fee, you get more services than the dollar value of the card if you were not a member. Is that right? Yep. And the same is true for Basu. You pay a fee every month, and then there are things included in that fee that you can take advantage of. And if you don't use them, you lose them, right? Correct. So that's really the big difference is that with the monthly, you lose the things that you don't use. But with the yearly, does it roll over if they don't use it within the year? On the yearly program, how we've designed and set those up, usually they act as kind of, if you almost want to think of them as a gift card, 
the patient who buys into the program has a balance in the practice of $3,000. In all the programs that we do for practices, we recommend that they get a signing bonus, whether it's you know the monthly membership style or whether it's the prepaid card. And they're going to get something immediately that's returned to them for exchanging money with you and joining on that first day. If they're partying with $3,000, like in Dr. Bucky's practice, that signing bonus is a little bit more than it would be for a monthly member who is you know, only partying with their first month's membership fee. So there's strategy in building those signing bonuses in and, and building them to a level that you know, is going to be motivational. And there's a whole strategy on the signing bonus side too. You know, you want to pick things that have a really high perceived value when you're giving away something, but that may have no consumable and not a lot of provider time in delivering. So there's ways to craft those little signing bonuses so that they have great oomph, but they aren't costing you a lot of money. But yes, so they're, they're paying a fee to join, whether it's a big fee, to commit for their entire year of aesthetic treatments. And then as they come in for those treatments, they get deducted off their balance and they are deducted with a percentage off. So a lot of the programs that we write that are prepaid have two or three tiers. We usually don't like to go beyond three. And in those tiers, you know, it'll either be 10%, 20%, 15% off of all services. So as they're coming in, they're not having to wait for promotions and they can have access to what they want when they need it at any time of the year at a really nice value. And so that's kind of how the prepaid card one works. And then on the membership side, usually they can choose from three or four really high value treatments that patients should be having every month anyways, like a hydrofacial or a BBL or you know something of that nature. So they're picking some high value treatments, but in each and every one of those circumstances, they're then exposed to being educated on other things that could really enhance their results. And they usually get some value or discounts on those services relative to their membership. So that's how that works. I'm sure at this point, there's people listening who are thinking, I don't want to build this myself. This sounds really hard. (laughs) And wondering why I wouldn't just do something like HintMD, which is probably the most well-known of the pre-built loyalty programs. And I want to hear your thoughts on what the difference is between the two and why you should weigh one over the other. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I would like to comment on that. So first and foremost, as long as practices are using HintMD as a loyalty strategy and not as a, a way to amortize payments or a financing strategy... I think that the HintMD solution can work. But if they're only doing it to amortize out payments and they're not paying attention to some of those soft side things that patients want out of a loyalty program, like engagement, like status, like recognition value, then it is just a payment program. And it isn't doing anything to elevate your brand in the marketplace to communicate with your authentic voice and to create a bond between patients. So as long as they're utilizing it in that respect, I think it can work. Personally, when we develop programs, we like the data to just be a single point of entry 
and to not have, you know, a siloed system. And also the membership model may not work for your practice. So we, you know, we did a, a loyalty program for a practice in Boca Raton, Florida, and half their patient base is transient. You know, they go up north for six months of the year, they come back down for six months of the year, and and it doesn't work in that scenario. And so to be able to have a flexible program structure because it may not work with what your goals are. And you have to have, this is one of the reasons why programs fail is to have a loyalty strategy goal. Why are you putting a program together in the first place? And so having it tied into your patient chart and having a program that can be run and be flexible to be set up based on what you need, it might not be a monthly structure, is really something to take a look at as well. And there's some providers out there that do that. You just opened another can of worms for me when you said integrated into the patient chart. So which EMRs or CRMs is it easy to fit a loyalty program into? Yeah, so some are coming along and it depends on where you are in terms of your practice. So if you're a plastic surgery or a cosmetic surgery practice, I I think one of the best ones is patient now because they already have a platform in place. And it's flexible. So you can write that program in any, pretty much any way you want. There are some parameters, but they also have the measurement tools in there through some of their newer modules that they've launched to actually go back and look at the analytics, your baseline before you set up loyalty and how it's moving the needle so that you can see where loyalty is making a change. And if it's falling short in some other areas, you can run campaigns boost that. And they have that patient marketing tool as well. So it's kind of intuitive. It builds in that ability to communicate to members after they become members with automated marketing that is branded to the program. So that's a great solution. There are other EMRs that are working on this type of platform. I know Simplast is one of them that will be launching some loyalty initiative coming soon. If you're more of a med spa, MindBody has a loyalty delivery platform as part of it. So there, it just depends on what type of practice you are. But absolutely having a tool to run your loyalty marketing initiative is important. It has to be run from the back end somewhere. or Otherwise, you're going to be doing hard entry, which is a nightmare. <laughs> so I feel like we have a pretty good handle on membership and the prepaid card, the two big models that you use. What kinds of things happen in the practice that would cause a program like this to fail or fall apart? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, a lot of them we take care of in in our approach. But the first and foremost thing is to not have a strategy going in to your loyalty marketing initiative. We want practices to pick three or four things that they want loyalty to do for them. And you have to understand loyalty can do a lot. So what is it? Are you trying to build retention? Are you trying to build recurring revenue? Do you want more leads? What is it? What are the top line strategies? Have that first because that helps to write the program basically and to pick the right program solution. A lack of understanding that goes back to the very first thing that loyalty is not just the single silver bullet that's going to solve all your problems and that you have to have that consistent expectation of a delightful experience in place first. Many practices will develop a loyalty program without their staff. 
And that is something we really recommend you don't do. First of all, your staff is your frontline on your loyalty program when it comes to selling it and chatting it up in the practice. And if they don't love the program and they don't believe in the program because it's been dictated to them, they are not going to have buy-in. They also have a ton of ideas because they see your patients on a regular basis. They know what they want. Many of them may have heard of patients actually asking about loyalty programs or talking about other programs and and have a wish list. So bringing your staff into the equation early is a great idea. Also, failure to train them on how to sell the program, how to sell the value proposition, where to bring it up in the consult, and how to ask for the sale is something that can really affect program success. And finally, on the staff front, having a way for them to continually audit and listen to patient feedback on the program so that they can contribute to its evolution over time is really important because loyalty programs are not meant to be stagnant. They are best when they morph and they change. And like Dr. Bucky's program has changed every year as the 10 years has gone along. The structure, the look and the feel hasn't, but the things that are included and the little bells and whistles have been tinkered with and it's improved the program. I would bet the people who keep buying it, now they look forward to whatever's going to get added to it in the next year. Absolutely. And actually, you know, just as much as we recommend you don't write your program in isolation from your staff, we actually also really recommend that you pick your top 12 champions, maybe your six to 12 champions. And when you have your architecture for your programs, 90% there, you take it to your champions and you ask them, would you love a program like this? What would you add? Would you buy this? Would you refer it to a friend? And so getting that feedback as well is really important. In terms of other things that have sunk programs, lack of marketing. We work with a lot of practices on loyalty marketing who have program in place. And so we'll say, okay, great, you know, let, let us know where it is on the site so we can kind of go read about it. It's not on the site. And so we'll say, okay, we'll send us a PDF of the brochure that markets the program. And there isn't a brochure. <laughs> it's kind of like sold out of the trunk of the car, you know? I mean, it's just not marketed. And these programs, they need to be marketed with firepower. When we launch programs for a practice, we have 10 deliverables that we require you have. And we would actually add an 11th. We don't do video marketing, but we really also recommend it to the 10 that we have. We want you to do a trailer for your program. And so it has to be marketed with firepower because they're not going to hear you in the first channel. And, you know, it just counts. I want to throw a funny question at you here where it makes sense, which has been on my mind since I heard from Nick Magruder at Friend Media, who was... He was surmising a week ago that with COVID, that a lot of offices were going to remove collateral from the lobbies or from the waiting rooms and really get rid of paper. And I wonder how you're thinking about that too. Are you pivoting to give people more digital options, starting to use QR codes, anything like that? So when I think about what we have in our list of 10 deliverables in loyalty marketing, we actually only have one thing that's really on paper, and that would be 
you know, a trifold that the patient leaves with if they don't actually buy that day. But yeah, lobby loops, weaving your loyalty program story into your digital lobby loop, email marketing, social media on your website. Those are all large format print, which is hanging on a wall. So nobody's going to ever touch that in a practice. That's, that's one of the things. How you make it feel from a tangible standpoint when you actually ask a patient to spend $3,000 and you give them something on that day. It better be cool because if you don't give them anything, you're missing part of the pie. You're missing part of that sizzle and that sex appeal. And so, you know, a lot of these things aren't going to be sitting in lobbies and waiting rooms. And, and to some extent, I do agree with that, that, you know, some of these materials probably do need to, for a while, go into other places. But print's always going to be around. It's the long-term experience factor that stays. If anything, I think, you know, the secondary benefit to making those decisions is that maybe we choose what's most important to our business to leave out at this point and not put every single thing in the waiting room. I do want to make one last point about programs flopping, and that would be remembering that importance piece. As we're working on new programs for practices, we're really trying to stay in front of the practice to get them to do those nurturing, engagement, um, communication pieces after they join. Because the last thing you want to do is develop a program and spend the money to do it and the resources and time needed to sell it and then have your members drop out simply because they're not being engaged. So having a drip campaign, having an electronic campaign, having methods and and materials ready, and it doesn't have to be difficult, just has to be thought through. There's so much to learn. I feel like we've barely scratched the surface on this. And it it sounds like we should do more, either another deeper podcast or a webinar or something where we can actually show visuals too. So I'd love to have you back for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the one thing that would be really creative to talk about in that respect is how practices are, and this is another COVID opportunity, practices are building in other people's money into their programs, which is really fun to do. Mm-hmm. Kind of thinking a little bit out of the box. And that's really the way that the, you know, the big retail programs do it. You know, so I'm an Alaska Miles member. And as a member, I certainly get points for flying, but I also get points when I book Rover to watch my dogs and I get points when I stay in hotels. And gosh, we all have things like that in our community, people we can partner with that are on brand with us who treat customers in the same way we do. We add value to our programs, earning velocity to our programs, interest for members, content for members, and you're using other people's money to do that. And if you can build those kinds of things into your program, it makes it so aggravating for uh, your competition (laughs) to duplicate like so that. Um, and it's, it's a big COVID-19 opportunity because as we all come out of this, our awareness has been heightened about how to support one another in the community, how to mutually build everybody up. And this is a really interesting way, I think, for practices to write in more value to their program while they're also accomplishing that agenda. I will tell you before I ask you what yours is, that one of my big takeaways, at least from the practice perspective, from going through the 
COVID-19 shutdown is that what I hope I see happen is that practices value their leads more than they did in the past. And many practices have so many that it's almost an embarrassment of riches. (laughs) And I would love to see us go to a philosophy of treating every lead equally and quickly so that we're making the most of every opportunity that comes through the door. Absolutely. So I'm curious first what you've seen, like what's the most important takeaway you've had from this experience? (laughs) Well, first of all, there is no manual on marketing in a pandemic. That's the first thing I learned. And you know, we've made our own fair share of mistakes in just being tone deaf. <laughs> you know, it's been tough. This is, this is a learning yes. curve for everybody and it's unprecedented. But other than that, you know, and just kind of really quickly having to ramp up in what's acceptable to communicate during this time and how to do that, I would say my biggest takeaway is that I hope And what I'm seeing is that this has really given brands, we're big brand believers, a platform to show their authentic self because they haven't been able to communicate discounts and deals and offers. What they have been able to do is to share who they really are. And I hope that continues after this and that it's woven into marketing because people appreciate it always and it's often forgotten. I had a guest on early in the situation who said humanity is the new authenticity Mm -hmm. and you just brought the whole thing full circle. And and that's basically what you just said, Jamie. Everyone on this podcast is subject to the same question at the end, which is what is your unique superpower? And it doesn't have to be work related, (laughs) but everybody has one. I would say it's listening. That's my superpower. Uh, My agency's superpower is creativity but we're really good and best at listening. And if you aren't good at that as a branding agency, you're going to fall short. Well, that's why you've been here for since, uh, I'm trying to calculate your age. <laughs> if you're 39, 39. Remember? <laughs> since you were nine years old, that's why you've been here so yeah. long. And it's been a privilege to hear just a slice of what you know. So we're definitely going to come back and get more from you later. But thank you for sharing your stories with us today and your expertise about loyalty. And we really appreciate it. Well, thank you for raising the bar on education for the sector. Your education level in your podcasts are amazing. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And Real Self University is here to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of our podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code podcast to receive 50% off your first full month of Real Self Spotlights. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.